0: Hi, welcome to In Sync, the podcast that explores the history and impact of some of your favorite music moments in TV and film. I am your host, Rachel Brodsky.
1: And I can't feel my legs.
0: I have no legs! Most teen movies are bound to feature at least one party scene. But there's one movie that begs the question what if the party scene became the entire movie?
1: That's precisely what writing partners Harry Alphont and Deborah Kaplan did to create 1998's Can't Hardly Wait, a little movie about a big high school graduation party and even bigger feelings.
0: Named for the replacement seminal single from 1987's "Please to Meet Me, Can't Hardly Wait features a stacked soundtrack with needle drops from Smash Mouth, Blink-182, Third Eye Blind, Run DMC, Guns N' Roses, Busta Rhymes, Missy Elliott, Barry Manilow, Matthew Sweet, Sublime, Dire Straits, and Yazoo, just to name a few.
1: There are just too many good songs to choose from, and that's why we can't hardly wait to talk about all of them, or as many as we can.
0: Joining us is producer, audio maker, showrunner, and can't hardly wait super fan Eleanor Kagan.
1: So settle in, get comfy, lock yourself in the bathroom, or climb atop the pool house roof in the latest episode of InSync. It's
0: all about the memories, man.
2: This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus performance line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, I'm Kyle. Can We Geek About is a new podcast from Gotham West. Each week, JJ and I will delve into the geekier side of pop culture from our favorites in science fiction and fantasy... To new releases and even maybe rag on some absolute flops. We promise that even if you don't like what we have to say, you'll like how we say it. But anyway, can we geek about? Did you really need me here for this? I just needed a ride. <sighs> can we geek about? So give us a listen, subscribe or follow, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, Eleanor.
3: Hey guys, thanks so much for having me.
1: Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Eleanor? Sure.
3: Uh, so, doing a bio is very hard. So, I will just say that um, my favorite movies are Can't Hardly Wait, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, But I'm a Cheerleader, All I Want to Do, AKA The Hairy Bird. And that is like pretty much all you need to know about me, I think.
1: Other than the fact that we were roommates for quite a while.
3: Yeah, we've known each other for almost 20 years. I performed in the murder mystery at your wedding. Correct. There's a lot to unpack in that sentence. Um, (laughs) I make audio documentaries and podcasts and quilts and clothes. And I spent almost two years researching the history of male strippers. Hell.
0: Where do you sell clothes? Because I... Want to look at them?
3: I sew clothes I sew in clothes. my apartment. Oh, sew, not sell. I sew them in my apartment and I post them on Instagram.
1: Eleanor's got a great Instagram.
3: Thanks. I did follow
0: you earlier today.
1: So, no plugging because Rachel's already following you. I'm so you already following no, you. I, I I'd like to
0: is. see my guests' faces before I talk to them. Ooh. <laughs> look at their souls. <laughs> <What's-> <laughs> it's just the journalist in me. I just, I like to, I like to stalk before I talk. You see
1: what I did?
3: I want that on a T-shirt.
1: That's the (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt. I like to stalk before I talk.
3: (laughs) Anyone I've ever dated can test. Listen, I I call that journalism, but yours is better.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Rachel also texted me randomly this week saying, "What if we put needle drop it like it's hot on a (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt?"
0: Would wear, would buy, would promote to all my friends. Hell yeah. Okay, that's good to know. I would. I mean. I'm biased because I thought it, but I would put that on a tote bag and carry it everywhere to stay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so Can't Hardly Wait is the 90s mainstream answer to a movie like Dazed and Confused. Dazed and Confused is the 1993 masterpiece that takes place on the last day of high school in 1976 in Texas. But now we're in 1998 on the last day of school for Huntington Hillside High. As I mentioned in a previous episode, this is based on Huntington Valley, Pennsylvania, which is like two towns over from where I grew up. And we've replaced the hippies and jocks of Dazed and Confused with burnouts, art kids, wannabe gangsters, and well, jocks of the 1990s. Our main character is Preston Myers, played by friend of the show, Ethan Embry. Ethan, we love you. Ethan, call us. Call us. And Preston has been in love with Amanda Beckett since the day in ninth grade where she moved to Huntington Hillside High and ate the same flavored Pop Tart. And Preston just missed out on being the one picked to show Amanda around her new school and has been pining for her ever since. Can relate.
0: Not creepy at all, really. I mean, it's funny to watch, can't hardly wait with like fresh eyes, like over and over, and just like, well, we love we love him and we love this, but is it creepy?
1: We look the other way on a lot of things in this movie.
0: I realized that this is the third
3: Ethan Embry movie that you are doing on your podcast. Correct. Unless you are a purist and you refer to him in that thing you do as Ethan Randall.
0: Oh. He was
3: going by in the credits of that movie before he took on Ethan am- Embry as his stage name. Either way, I am very much in favor of this becoming an Ethan Embry podcast.
1: Yeah, it's that's it's just a picture of Ethan Embry and it <laughs> says stock before you talk or whatever whatever the garden catch right? <laughs> So I
0: guess by this logic the next movie we have to find some way to talk about is Sweet Home Alabama, right?
1: You brought a baby to a bar. <laughs> or uh, Cheap Thrills, which is an incredible underrated later days Ethan Embry movie. But enough about Ethan Embry. It's For the now. Last Day of For School. Now. It's time for Preston to give Amanda one of the thousands of love letters he's written to her over the years. And Preston's best friend, Denise Fleming, parentheses is a tampon, played (laughs) by an unfortunately hairstyled Lauren Ambrose, is the perennial pessimist and doesn't think any of this will go well. But Preston's got hope because Amanda and longtime boyfriend Mike Dexter, played by Cullen patriarch Peter Fassanelli, have broken up. The majority of the movie takes place at the end of school Rager. The host of the party is played by Michelle Brockhurst. Her character's name is Girl Whose Party It Is. <laughs> Everyone is there. Preston, Amanda, Mike Dexter, and William Lichter, who played by Hook and Dick Tracy star Charlie Korsmo in his last on screen role for 20 years.
0: Oh my God. Isn't he a lawyer now? Am I?
1: He was at MIT at the time. So he was like, he
0: go into law later. Am I I making this up?
1: Potentially, there's so many child stars that like do do bizarre things. Like the dude from Charlie and the Chocolate, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was an ostrich farmer. What? Oh yeah, dropping knowledge.
0: Let's sit with that for a minute.
1: (laughs) So William Lichter has been bullied relentlessly by Mike Dexter, and he has a plan to go to the party, get Mike and one of his jock friends drunk have a f- couple of fellow geeks waiting on the roof of the pool house to jump them, potentially chloroform them, and take pictures of them in compromising positions to make everyone think that they're gay?
0: Yeah. yeah. Not everything about this
3: movie has aged great. <laughs> no,
0: yeah, we're, <laughs> so, we're all collectively cringing out loud. <laughs> is,
1: is William Lichter the villain of this movie? Anyway... That storyline doesn't hold up, but everyone's plan goes to shit at the party. Mike wants Amanda back. William gets drunk, sings Paradise City, becomes popular for a night, befriends Mike. Literally everyone tries to hit on Amanda, including her own cousin. Second cousin. Mm, By marriage. Mm, mm, Not great. Preston loses his letter and is read for filth, and Denise accidentally locks herself in the bathroom with wannabe thug Special K, Kenny Fisher played by Seth Green, only for them to fall in love and have sex on the bathroom floor.
0: There's a shaggy song in there somewhere.
1: (laughs) It wasn't me. (laughs) Can Preston prove to Amanda that he really loves her before he goes to Boston tomorrow for a workshop with Kurt Vonnegut? (laughs) And what does all of this have to do with a certain Barry Manilow song? So, we have already started talking about our personal connections to this movie, but we are of the perfect age, the three of us, for this movie to really just hit us in the good parts. <laughs> so, Eleanor, what is your... You said that this was your one of your favorite movies of all time. What is your experience with this movie?
3: Oh, my gosh. My experience with this movie is that I saw it and I instantly saw every feeling that I was feeling as a 7th and 8th grader in this movie. And honestly, re-watching this the other day, it still just connects me to those feelings. So this movie is all about crushes. It's all about longing. It's all about nostalgia for the thing that is currently happening but about to end. So that kind of, like, present, like, we're losing out on the best days of our lives feeling. And when I was, you know... 13 or something when I saw this movie, maybe I was 12. I was feeling all those feelings. I was about to graduate eighth grade. I was about to go into high school. I had an intense crush on a guy in my class who did not reciprocate. So I identified with Preston. I identified with Denise. I identified with everybody in this movie. And to this day, I still think it is one of the best on-screen representations of what it is too long for somebody and that is why I think it still connects to me and the music is a huge part of that too right so this movie brings it all back for me
1: I mean how many songs have been written about that same kind of longing right like I think that that it's all connected right yes
3: I could relate to this everybody was pining for somebody else right like
0: yeah in uh, romey and michelle's high school reunion episode we talked about how somehow everybody made someone else's life hell that's the takeaway and then in this episode we're talking about how everyone's also always pining for someone else in high school just
1: out of reach what about you rachel what is what is your experience with this movie
0: i have a very specific memory of um renting this movie with my cousins i think i was about 10 or 11 If this came out in 1998, then I was probably about 11. And when we rented a movie, we would watch it multiple times. And then I think they actually got the movie on cassette tape and just had it in their collection. So anytime I went to their house in Baltimore, um, which is where my family is originally from, we would watch Can't Hardly Wait. It was one of my favorite movies just to rewatch even before. I feel like now rewatching is just like in the vernacular. And then. Then it was like your rewatching was a little bit more like of a self-contained thing.
1: Like a ritual.
0: Well, like rewatching Can't Hardly Wait was like one of my break from school rituals because I would go to my cousin's house on school breaks. And I just like loved the chaos of this movie. Like it it to me seemed very realistic that all of these characters had like grown up together. Effectively, but didn't know each other. They just have these like ideas of each other, and then that whole night is like kind of breaking down and unpacking, and like getting past those ideas, only for the ideas to kind of resurrect themselves. Like in the morning, there's like there's like real like late night like haven't slept sleepover vibes to this movie when you like get so tired that you feel like you're drunk and you just start like telling people. Shit that you like would never usually tell them. Feel, yeah, but I had crushes on Seth Green, of course, and oh my gosh, yes, Ethan Embry. Okay, who-
1: I have to. I ha- we got to get to the bottom of this. Even okay. before we started recording, <laughs> Eleanor and Rachel were like, "Oh my god, Seth Green in this movie."
0: Seth Green in this movie.
1: Seth Green.
0: Seth Green. Well, he was like in make every teen mag- He was in every teen magazine around this time
1: but he's got the goggles and the pants and he talks so strangely.
0: Yeah, I mean they those were stupid, but like then he stopped talking that way and it was like he gets called out, look in the mirror, you're white. Yeah, Lauren Ambrose reminds him that hey, like po- like being a poser isn't cool, just be yourself. Sure. You're hiding behind your giant goggles and your giant pants and shoes. Just you know yourself is really cute so once he starts speaking like a normal person like for his like background stop, once he stops appropriating
1: yeah the the hood he drops yeah. the hood voice
0: yeah he is completely adorable and
3: <laughs> he's a key, he's a cutie i have a theory about this too i think that it is the perfect marriage of person with scenario because the getting locked in the bathroom with someone enemies to lovers uh <laughs> plot line is a fucking fantasy of a 12 year old if i ever had one and that is literally the thing that i spent all day and night wishing would happen to me i wanted to get locked in it didn't have to be a bathroom it could be any room that locked i wanted to get stuck into that scenario with the person that i had a crush on because then he would fall in love with me and
1: if he only got a, a chance to get to know you
3: Exactly, and right. I think that seeing Seth Green's character in that scenario, it was so romantic, it was so fantastical, it just made me
0: fall in love with him. And these two characters, like they go way back; they have yeah. a, they have a history, and then they get to confront that. Do you remember Aviv when we were talking about in the Shrek podcast? I'm
1: very afraid of what's going. What this question is going <laughs> to be? Yes, we
0: were talking about like confronting someone because they just stopped talking to you and why did they stop talking to you and like how i was telling you how i wanted to do that with like the first ever boy i went on a date with we like stayed friends and then when you're technically still dating We're technically still dating (laughs) because I told him that that I liked him still. And we were like, like years later. And then he was like, cool. And then we just, I never heard from him again. Well, I I feel like if we'd been locked in a bathroom at some later date, like if we were actually like lived in the same town (laughs) and we're we're able to like like hash it out. I mean, to me, that's like the fantasy of like being able to like achieve any kind of closure just by using words.
1: So that's an interesting point of view because I obviously cast myself in the role of Preston, including like a absolutely hopeless crush on Jennifer Love Hewitt. Jennifer, if you're listening, I'm happily married, but we can exchange letters. (laughs) So Preston also has the same fantasy that if he just uses his words properly, he can make the unattainable person fall in love with him which i definitely also very much related to right is like not looking or sounding or acting like the coolest person in the high school was there still something i could do with my brain to like make the object of my affection love me back and so yeah i i have a similar affinity for this movie and kind of like uh yearning awakening or a longing awakening not for seth green but for uh, amanda beckett herself Jennifer. Lopez. i
3: like that our approaches to our childhood crushes have a clear through line to our career choices <laughs> the two of you the two of you became writers because of your prowess with words i became a producer where i orchestrate situations in where which- people are
1: locked in rooms together <laughs>
3: I, I, I produce I produce situations. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. I, f- I, I also wanted to say before I forgot that I am such a big fan of Lauren Ambrose. Like as Aviv knows, Six Feet Under is my favorite oh, yeah. show of all time. And like her character is probably my favorite character uh, on the show Uh, and this is of course pre Six Feet Under but I really related to Denise Fleming and can Hardly Wait because I felt very invisible in high school I -hmm. was it was just not my time yet and I always just felt like I was just there and no one really knew me and I wish I had had a friend as like nice I guess (laughs) as preston meyer i mean i i had a i had a good friend who was a, a boy but then kind of found out that like he had feelings for me there's the unrequited can i tell you something mm, yeah
1: can i tell you something no that that's that's how it starts can i tell you something
0: uh um, yeah that was junior prom
1: <laughs> Ooh, woof.
3: yep i really did love the platonic friendship between denise and preston yeah i was a bitchy eighth grader for that whole week actually that line by the way in in watching this movie the other night i was like that line has so much exposition in it it's like a perfectly written line
0: i've had the exact same thought (laughs) they like way to just like shoehorn like a shitload of exposition into the yeah. one yes thank you <laughs> for off, saying that eleanor <laughs> the off
1: screen movie I, I also like that was the thing that puzzled me as a kid of like why don't they get together because you know it seemed like the very directed natural thing and and at the age of whatever 12 or 13 i i didn't think that boys and girls could be friends in any real sense of the of the word there are a, lo- a handful of connections between Can't Hardly Wait and Dazed and Confused, as I mentioned. It's a last day of school movie. It's an all in one night movie. It's a movie that's named after a song. And Can't Hardly Wait even has its own version of Matthew McConaughey's Wooderson in Jerry O'Connell's Trip McNeely, Trip a McNeely. high school hero. Trip McNeely. Trip McNeely, a high school hero who has turned into a college loser who basically shows up at the party and has his own version of saying the thing i like about these high school girls is i get older and they stay the same age but the main thing that unites these two high school classics is that they each have a banger of a soundtrack so in our intro rachel mentioned a a bunch of them but let's run through kind of the greatest hits of the can't hardly wait soundtrack
0: So, as anyone who loves this movie and its soundtrack may know, is that there are 15, approximately, 15 songs from the movie on the soundtrack and, like, 50 songs from which to choose. They
1: left off. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we... As you may have noticed, we could not decide on Couldn't. like one song to hone in on. So we were like, "This is our show. We can do what we want." <laughs> <laughs> we oh, the format breaker. We yeah. we turned into Miley Cyrus. Like it's our party. We can do what we want, and we're just going to talk about as many as we have time for. So, to give it a quick rundown, we have Third Eye Blind's "Graduate," which is one of my favorite Third Eye Blind songs. Wow! We, <laughs> Smash Mouth can't get enough of you, baby. Which is, um we talked about this on our Shrek episode, it's a cover of a four seasons song.
1: Didn't realize it was a cover until much later in my life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I believe it was also written for this movie, specific- or not written, but like covered specifically for sure, this sure. movie. We've got Damn It from, from Blink-182, classic. Uh, Buster first Blink-182
1: song I've ever heard. I, like, this was my first experience with Blink-182 was this.
0: Yeah. This was, I think, a lot of people's first experiences because That's it's it. like pre their enema of the state days.
1: Yeah. And a year before American Pie.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Blink 182 shirt to this recording specifically because of
4: this.
0: <laughs> I love that. We got some Bust of Rhymes, Fire It Up, Missy Elliott. I'm going to say this in the whitest way possible, but uh, hit him with the he. Right? Yeah. Yeah. KP and Envy, Swing My Way, Feeder, Hi. Black Lab, tell me what to say. Matthew Sweet, further down, the replacements, of course. Paradise City by Guns N' Roses, and we have a very excellent needle drop of um, Run DMC's "It's Tricky."
1: And there's a like a plot related needle drop song of Barry Manilow's "Mandy," which isn't on the soundtrack but plays like a pivotal role in the plot. So that's one of the songs that we're going to refer to.
3: Shut up about the dog. (laughs) Shut up about the dog. Shut up about the dog, okay. Can I ask you guys a question about this? I'm genuinely curious. How come some of the biggest songs in this movie aren't on the soundtrack? You know, it opens, you know, there's a couple of Eve 6 songs in this movie, Open Road Mm. Song, Inside Out. Like, there's a lot of very prominent needle drops that don't show up on the soundtrack. What is the, like, behind the scenes stuff
0: about how those decisions get made? Do you guys know? A lot of the time, it has to do with, like, contract conflictions. So, I mean, my, my best guess, uh, if he looks like he wants to do no, no. something. No, no, I'm
1: gonna agree with you. Yeah, my, my, my best do.
0: guess is that it, it, it usually has to do with, like, whatever record label releases the soundtrack versus whatever record label that the artist in question is signed to, and whether or not it could come to an agreement.
1: Which is the same reason that This Used to Be My Playground didn't wind up on the League of Their Own soundtrack.
0: Mm. It might come out, like, Sometimes soundtracks come out in like 20-year, 30-year anniversaries, and then enough time has passed that those contract stipulations of yesteryear can be like they, they either don't exist anymore or record labels will turn over and get new staffs and then come to an agreement. But a lot of the time, initially, it has to do with like money contract stipulations and whether or not like the powers that be at labels can work out an agreement
1: it also could potentially be like some hedging of bets where they like are guessing at what songs will be hits and kind of making us a mixtape that they think will like but it seems weird that they left off some huge hits of the time like inside out from Eve six which is like it was a massive song yeah so okay so there are like as rachel mentioned like a significant number of needle drops and we can kind of do the, the greatest hits of our process on each of them.
0: To back up for a second, I found a really good Reddit thread that lists out every needle drop in the movie. Like when the song plays, like what's happening on screen when the song plays. So there are eye blind sounds when Preston finally sees Amanda at the party, but he keeps getting interrupted by the guy who keeps asking him if he remembers stuff. And apparently graduate also played in the original trailer for can't hardly wait which i never knew i can't feel my
4: legs i can't feel my legs
1: columbia
2: pictures presents an event 18 years in the making when you find out who your friends really are
0: i don't think she's prettier than gwyneth
4: not even
2: what your future really holds
4: i am going to have sex with someone at this party
2: And how one night can
4: change your life.
0: And Can't Get Enough of You by Smash Mouth plays when Preston and Denise are uh, watching Kenny dancing in front of the mirror. He's getting all like psyched because he's got to have sex tonight. Blink-182's Damn It plays as the cops enter the party near the end of the movie of everyone makes a mad dash to get the heck out of there. Aviv, are you familiar with the Broham song? Because... Ah, I was not.
1: Uh, no, I i don't know that I've ever heard this song.
0: I don't think I have either. But, but
1: <laughs> this is one of Kenny's moments, right?
3: Right. Apparently the guy from this band was also in Third Eye Blind.
1: Oh, so it's probably just another toss it in.
3: Okay. According to Wikipedia. Can I say, as you're reading these off? Yeah. I feel like a good quiz for the can Hardly Wait super fan would be, can you name when all these songs happen in the movie?
1: So, Can't Hardly Wait superfan, Eleanor Kagan. Yeah. When do you hear Busta Rhymes's Turn It Up?
0: This is a hard one, I think.
3: This is a hard one.
1: it's, It's the next one on the list.
3: It's during a scene change, I know that, but I don't remember what the change from one scene to another is.
1: It is when we see Kenny in the convenience store.
3: That's right.
1: So, one of the like big needle drops that we were talking about in our like email thread leading up to this episode was it's tricky by run dmc so explain to me of the three of us the can't hardly wait novice the significant of it's tricky the run dmc needle drop
3: so kenny's whole plot line revolves around him wanting to have sex at the party and he has narrowed the list of women that he's going to try to sleep with down to 10, very lucky finalists. (laughs) And he, he arrives to the party with a backpack full of supplies that he calls the love kit. And it's got like a Kama Sutra book, a candle, some like feathery things that I still don't know what they are. And like reams of condoms. And so. (laughs) (laughs) Reams.
1: A bandolier of condoms.
3: (laughs) At one point in the movie, He overhears a girl crying and saying that in order to get back at her cheating boyfriend, she's going to hook up with the next guy that talks to her. He immediately starts talking to her. She agrees to go to the pool house with him. And he runs off to a bathroom um, upstairs to prep. And the second the door closes, when It's Tricky drops
4: my recital. I think, I think it's, it's very vital.
1: To rock around. That's right. On time. It's tricky. Uh, 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 Here we go. It's tricky. To rock around. To rock around. That's right. On time. It's tricky. It's tricky.
3: tricky. 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 And you see Kenny Fisher like making sure that he doesn't smell. He wants to, I mean, he's like running through the list with himself. He's like bathroom pee, underarm check. Don't put the Jimmy hat on now. Nah, that ain't gonna work. So he's like <laughs> He clearly has no idea what he's doing. He has never had sex. He doesn't know whether he's supposed to put the condom on, you know, long before Hard or the soft act actually <laughs> starts. But he's in the bathroom, like, reading through the Kama Sutra book, practicing positions, and uh, all of this is soundtracked by Run DMC, which is I what I imagine they were thinking when they wrote this song
1: yeah it's tricky to have sex and figure out when to put on a condom was exactly. the original title
0: how eleanor how would you feel like if you had met someone at any point and decided that you were gonna do it and then just saw that he was already wearing <laughs> <laughs> like, his pants come off and
2: uh,
1: already wearing. prepared Boy Scout. Always be I, I, prepared.
0: <laughs> be like, oh, this
3: is making my Kenny Fisher fantasy become reality.
1: <laughs> so I I I particularly love this needle drop because there is a sense of comedy to it, right? We talked about like in our Barbie episode, there's like a, a punchline of Matchbox 20's push where it's like it is the bro anthem. It's the anthem of the guy playing the acoustic guitar at a perspective mate right versus this where the song itself is not the punchline; it's just like commenting on how absurdly inept kenny is at any of this stuff so i think it's like a really interesting fun moment that it doesn't call attention to itself too much but still gives you like a layer of comedy in this moment
0: i would fully agree with that it's it's a really good needle drop and like you you feel like they're kind of laughing at and with
1: right
3: and as a 12 year old hearing this song for the first time hearing run dmc for the first time it's kind of a wild way to be introduced into the world of classic hip-hop
1: yeah which is not kenny's thing is like the buster rhymes stuff like this is not a kenny song it is a song that's like commenting on how kind of silly he is
0: yeah I was going to shout out Eve Six's "Open Road" song, which comes in at the, the very beginning of the movie, where where like the graduation scene is actually happening. And for so long, I did not know that this was an Eve Six song, and I had it on like a mix and everything like, that a friend made for me.
2: Oh,
1: are we all following the guy from Eve 6 on Twitter Oh yeah he's great Of
3: course I mean he has now, he now has an advice column for BuzzFeed I am reaching just off screen and pulling out my full of holes thin as paper Eve 6 t-shirt from their tour
0: of in 1998 that's amazing.
1: Eleanor truly is like nice. a clothing maker. Because I don't think that you needed to record this from your closet. You just wanted easy access to like, oh, you my mentioned Eve Smash Mouth. Here's my Smash Mouth shirt. Here's my Creed shirt.
3: I do not have a Creed shirt. I was I was never really a big Creed fan, but their music was everywhere. Right next to Eve 6 and Blink-182. Yeah. So. Do you have a
1: Creed tank top so you can approach it with arms wide open?
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I do hey. have this signed album cover by sugar ray
0: <laughs> yes
3: <laughs> eleanor you know i just gr- interviewed mark mcgrath i think you mentioned that on Did a past episode oh. which made me reach into storage and grab this, yes. this relic of 1997 i'd like to live in your closet that's okay <laughs> <laughs> it is a uh shrine of late 90s alternative rock memorabilia that appealed to a 12 year old
0: i feel like we all need to go on the butt rock cruise do you know <laughs> what i'm talking thing? about As
1: journalists
0: is that real it's a it's, it's a not cruise. called the butt rock no cruise. Uh, it's my it's my name for it. when i was still on staff with stereo gum we would just refer to the upcoming it's it, i think it's happening next spring but it's a cruise. It's like the 90s something or I'll I'll look it up. It's got Creed. Creed's going to be on. It's got like Tonic, uh Creed Cruise. Oh, okay. The Summer of 99 Cruise, the Creed Cruise. Oh, no. oh
1: fuck that. That sounds horrible. <laughs>
0: horrible or incredible? It's got uh okay, Buckcherry Shivers. Tonic. Have Seen. Vertical Horizon, Fuel. Oh, can I tell you something
3: funny about Fuel? Not funny. Yes. I mean, it's my it's like my own lore. So again, 12 years old, I had a bat mitzvah and like there's a moment where you like enter the party and my entry song was the second verse of Shimmer by Fuel.
4: Hell
0: Eleanor, yeah. you and I are going to be best friends. <laughs> Did you I'm also so- walk into your bat mitzvah to Fuel? I have, no, I wish. That's way, <laughs> That's so that's so cool that I like. No, but that's like one of my favorite songs ever. Yeah, it's and if so I could. Good. And if I could have walked into my bat mitzvah. <laughs> I didn't have music at my bat mitzvah. We had a nice luncheon. We didn't we have had a
1: nice luncheon too.
0: <laughs> Mine was also a nice luncheon. <laughs> but we we didn't have a DJ or anything of the sort. But I love Shiver so much. Oh
1: by the by, we got some listener feedback from Shoshana Rubenstein, my mother.
3: <laughs> that the show is too Jewish?
1: <laughs> no, not Jewish enough. I, on a previous episode, mentioned that I would sneak into movies for oh, several yeah. years. And I was expecting my mom to be very disappointed. And she was. She called me and said, <laughs> I thought I raised you better than that.
0: Was she serious?
1: Um, Who's to say? We'll find out, I guess, when this episode Not
0: comes. important.
1: So... I want to talk a little bit about the song that the entire movie, the plot of the movie kind of hinges around, Barry which Manilow. is Barry Manilow's Mandy.
2: I remember all my life Raining down as cold as ice Shadows of a man A face through a window Crying in the night The night goes in just another day Happy people pass my way Looking in their eyes I see a memory I never realized How happy you made me, oh man Well, you came and you gave Well, i take it But I sent you away,
1: oh man So... Preston thinks that it is a good day to tell Amanda how he feels, not just because Mike Dexter broke up with Amanda and not just because it's the last day of school, but because he woke up and heard Mandy, the Barry Manilow song on the radio. And he thinks that Mandy is short for Amanda. So let's talk a little bit about the use of Mandy specifically in this movie because that has a lot, there's a lot going on and I, and I did not, mention a very pivotal character in this movie so we could talk about it when uh, we got here.
0: Well, so Preston thinks that he's like going to make contact finally with Amanda and talk to her, but then he sees her kissing being forcibly kissed by her second cousin through marriage and thinks like oh, well she's dating someone else now or something or my moment is past. Someone
1: swooped in. Someone
0: yeah. swooped in, the window has closed. So he goes off on a on a sad 2 a.m. car ride and decides he needs to ask Barry Manilow personally, is this song about a woman that you love named Amanda or is it about your dog? And it's kind of like if you think it's about his dog, then maybe you're like a glass half empty person like Denise Fleming. Or if you think it's about a, a woman named Amanda, then you're a hopeless romantic who believes in fate, like Preston. So he drives off, finds a, I guess the a radio station he's listening to has Barry Manilow on the horn, ready to talk to a lucky call in, like a what, what's that? What's that? Like show? A Casey
1: Kasem. Sort yeah, like a, guy. a Casey
0: Kasem kind of thing. I was gonna say like, who's like the longtime DJ. Who does like a nighttime show on like a soft FM station? Do you know who I'm talking about? Henry Rollins. No, uh, her name is like Dina, Dina. Oh,
1: oh, D- like Dear Delilah or yes, whatever. Thank you, like, Delilah,
0: like, Delilah. Like the, it's like the
1: Lonely a, Hearts. You yeah, call it's like a hearts. call
0: in Delilah kind of thing. So he does manage to get just before he can actually ask Barry Manilow what. Mandy is about who Mandy is about then an angel a dancer a stripper dancer Jenna Elfman her she is great na-
1: Jenna Elfman she is nameless
0: it. nameless I'll in the movie but she is Jenna Elfman the one and only and she is coming off of a horrible shift at the club Her car is broken down. She interrupts the call. Preston never gets to ask the question that he so badly wants to talk to Barry Manilow about. And he and Jenna Elfman get into this kind of first argument as she's, you know, like hanging up his phone call, taking the phone away from him, calling a cab and being like, look, I think I have had a much, like, worse night than you
1: for our younger listeners a pay phone was a phone <laughs> yeah. where you got, you just it just it was there and you would go to it this was before
0: you could call someone whenever you wanted whenever yeah and also it's before uber so you put a quarter in the phone
1: i swear to god you put a quarter in the phone
0: just carry a bunch of quarters
3: in your pocket at all times or you could make a collect call
1: Oh, don't, I don't even want to start to explain. I never really like understood them. I'm not going to try to explain them to the youth.
3: Google exists for them.
1: <laughs> for them, not for yeah. us. So I wanted to set out to answer this question that, that Preston never gets an answer to. Is Mandy about a woman named Amanda and or a dog named Mandy or Amanda? So this is from GroovyHistory.com. Barry Manilow's Mandy... Was not about a dog. Oh. There is an urban legend that the song was about a dog. So, the song was co-written by a guy named Scott English and Richard Kerr. And a reporter was irritating Scott English, and so he just made up the story about the dog. And in the same interview with that reporter, Scott English told him that Lassie was his favorite movie star. And so, he was just, like, obsessed with dogs. But. The song is not about a woman named Amanda because the original title and lyrics for Mandy was brandy hmm. so Scott English and Richard Kerr wrote a song called brandy, and then they changed it to Mandy because I don't know maybe that other song
0: it says brandy, uh, came out. on old time music, which is what you just cited right yeah yeah it's
1: i i I cited groovy history,
0: oh okay, so old time. <laughs> My music claims that Mandy was inspired by a photograph Manilow found in a teen magazine of his high school sweetheart. That girl in the photo was named Brandy, but Manilow changed it to Mandy to ensure the name worked better with the melody.
1: Oh, Brandy! I guess I guess Mandy is a little bit better than Brandy, but like we're really splitting hairs here.
0: So this song actually
3: does have a connection to high school and crushes after all.
1: Isn't that crazy?
0: Wow. But you know what's funny is that song facts says that Mandy... Was a common name for the 1970s recreational drug the quaalude or the mandrax? No,
1: fuck that. And shit. And Manilow that's,
0: was in recovery when he wrote the song. So no
1: way. That's that's uh, song facts. Check your sh- check your shit, man. That just, doesn't make any sense. I don't
0: even. I I don't think that that's actually the facts. But that's funny that that that's there.
1: That's so funny. Yes, I don't think so. But th- I would pay to hear a version of the song that's like oh quaaludes. <laughs> well, you came and you gave without taking. But I, I do, yeah, I do love that, especially it is not just high school, but it is this longing, right? This longing for nostalgia and this longing for the girl that he, like, lost. I'm oh,
0: sorry to interrupt you, um, but before, I just want to pop in, too, that Cora says, <laughs> and again...
1: We're, we're scraping the bottom of the yeah, barrel here. Cora <laughs>
0: says that Mandy slash Brandy is a cover, technically. And the song yes. was written by Scott English. Yeah, is it? Did you Did you just say this?
1: I did. So I so it was that. written written by Scott English and Richard Kerr. So technically a cover because some other artist recorded it first, but it wasn't really like a popular hit. I'm a little skeptical about this photograph thing too because Manilow was not the first person to record the song and didn't seem like he had a hand in writing it. So I don't know. But fun fact: the film takes place on Wednesday, June seventeenth, nineteen ninety-eight, which was Barry Manilow's fifty-fifth birthday.
3: It was also the day after my twelfth birthday.
1: You and the Manilow—one day apart. You know, what's
3: funny. I actually met Barry Manilow once, and I have a signed copy of the record that Mandy was on. But I did not get to ask him the question. I did not get to continue Preston's quest. I did not get to ask him what the song to ask him was about. about the dog uh, I still regret that to this day
1: I would too so speaking of the scene where Preston is calling the radio station to ask whether Barry Manilow wrote the song about a dog during that scene a song called Farther Down by Matthew Sweet is playing and I I know that Eleanor you have a very specific memory of that song as well
3: I was very into any sort of like schmaltzy song about longing. I don't know that I would necessarily call this song schmaltzy, but like, you know, as, as I was kind of thinking about this podcast recording, I was going back through my childhood journals and I would write down all the lyrics to the songs that I was listening to and my feelings about them. So, like, have you ever buy brandy? Uh, have you ever loved Somebody oh, so much you cry?
1: That song is about longing.
3: Right? Um, you know, uh, we mentioned Tonic earlier, the song If You Could Only See. Mm-hmm. Uh, that song. And then Farther Down by Matthew Sweet was one of those songs. Farther
2: down, I'm desperate for you Where you never have
3: to know I would write down the lyrics in my journal right alongside all my feelings, both about Seth Green and about the kid that I had a crush on at school and just like wax on and on about how lonely I was and how sad I was. And I would like lay in bed. I had this little Walkman, a CD Walkman, and I would play the Can't Hardly Wait soundtrack on my headphones as I was going to sleep and like cry in bed listening to this song about how like lonely i was and how no one would ever love me and why wouldn't these boys at school love me um but like this song got it and like it's the longing that matthew sweet sings about matched my longing and it was like a lifeline for me
1: i'm wondering if this is like a perfect collision of yes all of these feelings in these songs and in the film are true and real but the age that we were we're experiencing romantic love and longing and heartbreak and loneliness so significantly for the first time and we like don't know how to like turn on the dampeners Mm -hmm. or like you know like deal with these things and so there is this pure uncut like Colombian heartbreak <laughs> that we are that we are experiencing through this movie through the soundtrack, I would add "Waiting for a Girl Like You" on that list of longing songs. The foreigner song that Preston is listening to uh, on the radio,
3: "Love Hurts" and "Romeo and Juliet" by Dire Straits, also in this movie. Mm.
1: Incredible song. Love
3: that song.
0: That was like one of my favorite longing love songs in high school. Also from the scene.
1: Yeah. The Dire Straits is one of my all-time favorite bands. Not the
0: Sultans of Swing.
1: Not in small part due to this song. A love
2: struck Romeo Sing the streets of serenade Laying everybody low With a love song that he made Find the streetlight Steps out of the shade Says something like You and me
0: This song and its placement in Empire Records, another Ethan Embry movie, there's so many like little fun connections, parallels. Yeah. And uh, so that placement and then this placement, I just like could not get enough of that song.
1: Have we heard the killer's cover of that song?
0: We have. I have not.
1: Dare I say better than the original?
0: (gasps) Wow.
2: And I
1: love the original, but the killer's cover of Romeo and Juliet is. Incredibly good.
2: Juliette. The dice was loaded from the start, and I bet that you exploded in my heart. and I forget, I forget the movie song. When you're going to realize it was just that the time was wrong,
0: Juliet. Well, all of this discussion. Of longing and not knowing how to use one's words to get that out is a huge theme within the song that the movie is named for. Can't hardly wait it encompasses like the song by the replacements encompasses that feeling. Like and I, I did write down some of the first lyrics, which is I'll write you a letter tomorrow. Tonight I can't hold a pen. Someone's got a stamp that I can borrow. I promise not to blow the address again.
1: I also absolutely adore this song. Adore the replacements. This is on nice to meet me, right? There's like a nice to meet me. Pleased yeah. to meet me, sorry. Yeah. Uh, there's like an extended version of that record where you can hear a demo of Can't Hardly Wait. And the first line is, I'll be there in an hour. Which I also think is like a great like in media res song writing. Like I'm I'm on my way. But yeah, I think that this song is so good. And was it like a giant popular song at the time? Or did they just like name a whole movie around it? And and use it as the credit song because it was just that good.
0: I, I think that, um well, the replacements are they've always kind of held that like cult favorite, mm-hmm. like punk influencer place in music history. I mean, I remember finding out about them because I was a big Green Day fan. And Billy Joe Armstrong in an interview was talking about how much he loved the replacements and how they really informed Green Day sound, at least in the beginning. And so while the replacements song that we're talking about came out in like the mid eighties, I-, I don't know that it was necessarily like zeitgeisty, like 10 years later. To, yeah. I don't yeah. think so either. I mean, I think they. The, the creators of the movie probably just like plucked it out of obscurity because they love that song so much. If you think about it, they were probably like the age. Uh, and now this is speculation, but they were probably the age that their characters yeah. are like when Can't Hardly Wait came out.
1: That's my guess, too, is like this is the song that they would have been listening to, unlike basically every other song on the soundtrack, except for like maybe it's tricky and honestly, maybe mandy that like this feels like a window into the filmmakers tastes and you know they name the movie after it but the filmmakers also do make a voice cameo in the very beginning they're the ones talking about the party over the opening title of the the movie They're the ones talking. You're not going
3: with anyone, and I'm not going with anyone.
1: (laughs) So the the last needle drop that I think we we can't finish an episode about can't hardly wait without talking about the Love Burger performance that wasn't,
0: and which leads into Paradise City.
1: Yeah, Paradise City featuring William Lichter.
0: Yeah, I did get some insight into placing Paradise City, which is. It's kind of a huge get when you really think about it. That's a huge song. I, I had not heard of that song, uh, personally at around 10 years old. Same. And yeah, in the 2018 Billboard interview, I found where Ralph Saul, the music supervisor for Can't Hardly Wait is, is describing like getting GNR. He's, I guess talking to the author, Gil Kaufman, about how, like, given the band's difficult reputation, he wasn't so sure that they would end up getting Paradise City for the scene in question. But Guns N' Roses had been given, like I guess, like their first ever movie placement with Sweet Child of Mine in the 1988 horror movie Bad Dreams.
1: Oh, yeah. Have
0: you seen that?
1: No I, but no, I have not. I have not. It sounds like one of those like really cheeseball '80s horror movies.
0: I think that, that I mean, without knowing anything about it, that sounds yeah. pretty on point. But
1: their their songs also feature heavily in Terminator Two: Colon Judgment Day.
0: mm mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, wow, that's probably going to be a bigger paycheck, right? Than Huge like paycheck for them, What yeah. whatever you could expect from can hardly wait. But it sounds like. The music supervisor and the band had a pre-existing good relationship.
1: One of my favorite facts about Paradise City is that Slash does not like the lyrics to Paradise City and prefers the original, which is, quote, take me down to the Paradise City where the girls are fat and they got big titties. (laughs) And... He said, quote, we all, we being the band, all thought it was funny, but it wasn't going to make it onto the album.
0: Once they got permission to use Can't Hardly Wait, this because the movie Can't Hardly Wait was initially titled The Party. Right. And once they got approval from the replacements, then they just decided to call the movie Can't Hardly Wait.
1: Which is a, a, a good change. a Pretty Woman-esque change.
3: It's so funny to me in retrospect that this movie is pg-13 given that it is about teens drinking and doing drugs and i wonder if they would have been able to use paradise city in the movie at all if it had had those original lyrics
1: funny that you should mention that because this is a very william lichter moment so let me set the scene love burger has broken up love is like the house band that has been hired to play at the party featuring breckenmire and donald Faison, and they break up someone throws on paradise city on like the whatever the mix tape, the mix cd william drunk on beer recognizes the song gets up and sings paradise city and becomes like a rock god very briefly
0: i know this song the guy who tutored me in math used to make me listen to it
2: hey i know this song i know this song i know this song the guy I tutored math used to make me listen to it
1: So, in the scenes previous to that, William is getting drunk accidentally, right? He, he's supposed to uh, know his limits, but he's 17, and he gets like, kind of shit-faced. But
0: William, you could get drunk. You could, you get, could get addicted. addicted.
1: So, w- William originally takes tequila shots in in the scene, and that had to be changed to him taking like squeezing some lemon into his mouth because the depiction of underage drinking would have earned the movie an R rating and they didn't want that so it's like a, it's a very similar thing of the small changes that make it more palatable for this broader audience I,
3: that one of the extras in the background was like taking a like a beer bong hit or like God, what's that thing called where you like poke a hole in a can of beer, shotgun it? You shotgun it, it. yeah. He was shotgunning a beer, and they had to use CGI to instead make it look like he was blowing up a balloon. Sure. And apparently it's in the scene in the background when Amanda first walks into the party, but I watched the scene like four times looking for it and could not find it.
1: Yeah, I think that they also used CGI to replace the tequila glass with the lemon. Which is like very interesting for 1998 for them to throw like VFX money at stuff to not get an R rating.
0: I mean, they saved money on a lot of other things. So I guess they had a little spare budget.
1: I guess so. I
0: think every shot of this movie is its own like
3: Garden of Earthly Delights level of (laughs) intricacy because in any given shot, there are like 17 things going on in the background, which I yeah. think just speaks to the level of filmmaking here that you could watch this movie a million times, pause it and then notice new things in the background every time. I, I
0: quickly wanted to touch on something. I think Aviv, like you mentioned how they had to change the rating. Cause like originally this was going to be an R rated movie right. and then they changed it to PG 13. And uh, there was a really good oral history in the ringer Uh from I believe 2018 taught and Ethan Embry is talking about how like all the stuff that didn't make it into the final cut of the movie because of that rating. The irony, the article says is that like a lot of the stuff that the directors were forced to cut would definitely fly today, but also In the years since Can't Hardly Wait came out, like American Pie was obviously a huge hit.
1: Yeah. Right after this.
0: Right after this. And there was like this like blow up in the late nineties and early two thousands of like raunchy teen movies.
1: Yeah, it's weird. The filmmakers themselves are I think a little raunchier than this movie would indicate because they also did the like very satirical and i know eleanor kagan beloved film josie and the pussycats
0: oh absolutely which reunites love burger which
1: reunites Loveburger as du jour <laughs> but uh yeah i think i mean i think the movie is great and the, it's very genuine right like there is a lot of of real pathos in the characters stories but it would be fun to have like release the r-rated cut of this movie you cowards
3: <laughs> Apparently, some of those deleted scenes are on the 10 year and 20 year reunion DVD mm-hmm. Blu rays. Mine has not arrived from eBay yet, but I will <laughs> watch them and report back, and then you can update your listeners in a future episode.
1: Please do. The last song I want to mention on the soundtrack is just personally for me: the scene where Preston and Amanda finally get together (spoilers) is set to Yazoo's "Only You," which is the song that my wife walked down the aisle to at our wedding.
2: Aww, yeah. No,
1: good. Isn't that disgusting. Away. Above, it's
4: like a story of love. Can you hear me?
2: Came back only yesterday, I'm moving farther away. Won't you hear me? All I needed was the love you gave.
3: When that started playing, I was like, hell yeah, can't hardly wait.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, fun fact, both Rachel and Eleanor were at my wedding, so they experienced this. This is just for you listeners to know that I did get to marry Amanda Beckett.
0: We need to dedicate an episode specifically to Aviv's wedding ceremony. (laughs) (laughs) Best wedding ceremony I've ever seen. The oral history. The oral history of El (laughs) Portugal. So, uh, Yazoo's only you... And 311's all mixed up are like just two examples of songs that were in the movie, but didn't make it onto the soundtrack. And in that Billboard interview that I cited earlier, Ralph Saul talks about the like small fraction of songs that did make it onto the soundtrack initially. And he said there are 15 songs on the soundtrack, but more than 50 in the movie. So what made the soundtrack was an interesting dance. A lot of it was informed by the fact that Electra Records released the album, so naturally some of the labels acts got precedence, while others, the aforementioned Yazoo, Only You, and 311s All Mixed Up, didn't. He also said that if he could release a 20th anniversary edition today, then Saul would definitely make it a double disc with some guaranteed, as Billboard says, party starters like Tone Locks. Funky Cold Medina. Tone Loke. Tone Loke. Damn it. I have to tell you about the time that I accidentally called Suge Knight Suge.
1: (laughs) Suge Knight? Did he hang you out of a window and threaten to kill you?
0: Um, No, this was like back in 2015 when I was just starting to work at Spit. I hung myself out the window that day. So (laughs) Tone Loke's Funky Cold Medina and D-Light's groove is in the Heart. Classic.
1: Interesting. Like... They create the soundtrack with a lot of new songs, old songs, rock, rap, pop, so it feels like a mixtape or a mix CD that would be played at a party. Like an
0: actual party soundtrack.
3: I always love the needle drop of Don't Leave Me This Way by Thelma Houston in the movie. It's the moment when Freddie Rodriguez, who's one of uh, Mike Dexter's boys, is making out with his girlfriend and Mike tries to... Remind him that they had all planned to also break up with their girlfriends, but he doesn't want to because mm-hmm. her parents are out of town and they have mirrors above the bed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Another <it's> a- <laughs> uh, six feet under alum.
0: Yeah. yeah, a lot of six feet under alums. And like, like, there's a lot of like weird connective tissue with some of
1: our other Because this movie is
0: such a who's who yeah. of like 90s actors. So you've got like Amber Benson, who plays Tara and Buffy and Seth Green, also later on in Buffy. And oh, there's also a great
3: moment when Jason Segel, who yeah. pops up in the movie, he has this line about how, you know who is always underrated, Velma from Scooby-Doo. And he was in Freaks and Geeks with Linda Cardellini who played Velma in Scooby-Doo.
1: How the fuck about and they that?
3: They dated. And they dated.
1: And they dated.
3: We are a veritable IMDb trivia <laughs> right here.
1: And Daphne and Scooby-Doo Played by Sarah Michelle Geller, who played Buffy. If we're going back to Buffy, indeed. All right, fine. That one that can't hardly wait. Is they're not all winners. just
0: Just the six degrees from game in the 90s.
1: It really, especially of this era, right? Yeah. So there's, I think, an interesting appraisal of movies and and music made for teenagers when they come out it's always like the sky is falling right it's the end of the art form the kids aren't all right they're listening to all this nonsense and then as the kids and the teens get older and more nostalgic they praise things like too highly sometimes in the opposite direction so like how our parents sat us in front of the beatles and the stones and the who and puzzling for my dad the doors and mediocre western movies or dramas and I think it's so interesting that this movie is all about nostalgia and like in Back to the Future, when they shoot the 80s like a commercial for the 80s, they're looking at the present through the lens of nostalgia already, which is, I think, what makes this movie so easy to rewatch, to look back on through 2023 eyeballs.
0: So as Ralph Saul said to Billboard, he said, quote, it's never going to be the 90s again, but the appetite for soundtracks seems to be at a higher level again than it's been for a while. The job of making soundtracks is a byproduct of enhancing the experience of the movie. So hopefully the choices make it better at any given moment and bolster a scene that would have been less impactful without the perfect song choice.
3: I think also at this moment in time for for us as like, Tweens in 1998, 1999, it wasn't like you could just go to like YouTube or Spotify and play these songs. You either had to, you know, wait for them to come on the radio or on MTV or rewatch the movie or save up your allowance and buy the CD soundtrack or the single or like maybe you could find them as an MP3 on the internet to play on Winamp because this was like just before Napster. Early,
1: early Napster. Yeah.
3: So it's not like these songs were just easily findable. You had to put some effort into it or just wait. And so having this soundtrack was like, you would listen to these songs over and over and over again, and maybe they came on the radio, but you created these deep relationships with them by that proximity.
0: And also like the transitions that they used within like the soundtrack. So on one hand, you have, An album that like one artist makes and you just like think of the transitions that create the entirety of the album but then like if you didn't have that album by the one artist but you just have like a movie soundtrack then you associate like one song with a completely different artist that comes on next given how it was sequenced
1: yeah i mean and and we talk a lot about 90s movies on this show or movies up to like a certain point where like as ralph saul said like the golden age of the movie soundtrack, which went away for a while. And I think it went away for a while Due to filmmaking Trends but also due to How easy it was to pull these Songs off the internet and it makes The needle drops less iconic But it also could be that we Millennials are doing the same thing as our parents Did and holding up these moments From our childhood or formative years As like underappreciated In their time as these masterpieces Can't hardly wait has a 40% On Rotten Tomatoes and I think that that's low but I also don't think it's like I don't think it's like a 90%. A should belongs a 90%. Half the songs on the soundtrack are also these, like, we look at them through a lens of, like, partial mockery and partial nostalgia, like Smash Mouth, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, 311, Eve 6, Creed, all of these songs feel good, and they feel like good pieces of art, but they also feel like a little cheesy because of they represent so strongly this this time and place,
0: it also kind of represents like a which door you opened in your personal taste. Sure, the year that they came out, because a like a lot of people did like Creed and Three Eleven and Smash Mouth, but if you thought of yourself in a certain way as yeah. a music consumer, then you would never like these bands. They're, I mean, it's like time has flattened as uh nostalgia as millennial nostalgia has increased so today i think we've talked about this before but like new metal has kind of taken on an entirely different meaning because because gen z has reanimated it but they wear it slightly differently there's like a hint of irony but it's also really really fashionable
1: and they're also doing the same thing with emo it's like yeah it's uh, things are folding in on themselves
0: is this movie
3: our generation's american graffiti I think it might
1: be right because, and I keep going back to the comparison of Dazed and Confused, which is like the art house version of Can't Hardly Wait, but that is already looking back on a previous time. It was made in '93. It's about a one day in 1976. This movie does a, a truly incredible job of accurately depicting. What our millennial nostalgia would be looking back on this film 15, 20, 25 years later.
3: This movie holds up in the way that, you know, <laughs> just to take a recent example from your show, if somebody was watching Shrek for the first time in 2023, you know, they would probably enjoy it. But if you were watching Can't Hardly Wait in 2023, not having this previous relationship, with it, I think there's a lot of things that would land really differently and probably yeah. land really poorly. Yeah. Yes. But there's something about the art from our childhood where you know you were mentioning this. Some of these bands and movies are are cringe and offensive, um, but we
0: love them. Be not For their because placement of- in well, this. Yeah, we we, love them we lived that. It. We were there. We were there for it. Yeah. Maybe we weren't like graduating that year, but it's part of it's like in that corner of our brain that never gets any older.
3: And we loved them before we had the critical thinking skills to unpack them in the way we would now as adults. And so we can both love them unironically from the child part of ourselves, but also critique them from the adult part of ourselves.
1: And that goes for the movie too. But the thing that I'm fascinated by is like a lot of these nostalgia bait movies are made about different times so even american graffiti was made in the 70s about the 50s and there are so few high school movies that get high school so right that they become indelible classics to the generation that watched them oh and frankly let's be honest like we are watching gen xers in the movie right but we are we were the eighth graders who were looking up to these characters as somewhat role models But like I can only think of this movie and maybe The Breakfast Club to get so right the year that they lived in. To define the year that they came out in.
0: It's good that you bring up The Breakfast Club because Can't Hardly Wait was intended. It was like an homage to John Hughes.
1: Sure. I can definitely see that too. So how do we appreciate, how do we learn to discern What time capsules will be right, like Can't Hardly Wait or The Breakfast Club, and what fades away, like a dozen and a half high school movies that I could list that no one's ever heard of, those movies that we like look back on and we're like, oh yeah, I remember that movie. They were so fun, but they don't hold the same, they're not on the same kind of pantheon level as Can't Hardly Wait.
0: Well, I mean, this movie doesn't take itself too seriously, but at the same time, there's a self-awareness and deeper questions about life that you feel like you might be capable of answering as an adult, but maybe you're not capable of answering quite like at the age of 18, like you're on the precipice.
1: Yeah. So maybe it is the pathos. It's very coming of age yeah. in,
0: in like a real way that it, it's like, it's like Olivia Rodrigo. I mean, everyone can appreciate the questions that Olivia Rod- Man. <laughs> Rodrigo has and no matter what their age, but, um, Rodrigo? I mean, who doesn't? who doesn't and because because she, she taps into something in all of us regardless of how old we are like whether we're living through it in the now or whether we are like triggered by the memory <laughs> of it
1: I definitely feel like the Steve Buscemi meme hello fellow <laughs> youngsters when I hello fellow little. kids yeah. yeah
0: yes but in all seriousness like I love the question that that Ken hardly wait asks about fate whether or not we believe in it and I think like Denise Fleming like kind of arrives at a more like a, le- a slightly less jaded point at the end of the movie mm-hmm. because she's like she thinks she she is obviously incredibly smart she's a really smart character but she's totally over everyone around her she thinks she just knows what everyone's going to say before they say it and then she's like truly surprised by Seth Green and in a way that like she never saw that kind of relationship like circling back out of an old friendship and now they've slept together on the bathroom floor and like fate as she said works in really fucked up ways sometimes but she's like kind of taken on a little bit of preston's romance and and meanwhile preston's been kind of brought down to earth a little bit by his night
1: yeah and and amanda telling him how dare you think that mm-hmm. i would have fallen I, we haven't haven't even spoken I think ultimately the conclusion that I come to is that we only can see how good we had it after it's gone. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the bad stuff fades away and we remember all of the really truly great moments, even if they are a little cringy, kind of like the last day of high school. Right. And all of those faces frozen in the yearbooks, barring being horrifically traumatized by your high school experience with which many of us have been there is the sense of nostalgia with art as well as with the the characters in our our little movie that's all i got eleanor thank you so much for joining us where can people find your work on on the internet airwaves
3: you can find my work at EleanorKagan.com. my show that i alluded to earlier the two years i spent researching male strippers resulted in a podcast called welcome to your fantasy which is about the history of the chippendales dancers and the drama that happened within and around them and i post things that i sew and make um, on instagram at bloomsday
0: makes
1: and we are on instagram at Pod, Find us there and let us know the answer to this question.
0: What is the best thing that someone wrote in your high school yearbook? You can even post a picture and tag us.
1: We'll choose randomly from the best answers and the winner will get some in-sync swag.
0: Thank you for listening. And if you liked this episode, please check out our other episodes. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Sync is edited by Emily Reeves Production Coordinator Kyle Bosch Social Media Producer Dale Stamfly Executive Produced by Tommy West Original Music by Taylor Barefoot Sync is a production of Gotham West Studios That's a wrap on Season 1 of Sync. Thank you so much for listening We're going to take a couple months off and we'll be back later this fall with more episodes featuring your favorite needle drops
0: We'll see you next time
4: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
2: Hi, I'm Kyle. Can We Geek About is a new podcast from Gotham West. Each week, JJ and I will delve into the geekier side of pop culture, from our favorites in science fiction and fantasy, to new releases and even maybe rag on some absolute flops. We promise that even if you don't like what we have to say, you'll like how we say it. But anyway, can we geek about? Did you really need me here for this? I just needed a ride. (sighs) Can we geek about? So give us a listen, subscribe or follow,